Do you ever wonder what it would be like to have a behind-the-scenes tour of a busy heart surgical unit? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is journalist and historian Charles Morris. Charles Morris has written for The Atlantic Monthly, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. He has written 10 books, the most recent of which is based upon his experience embedding himself in the surgical unit at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York. The book is called The Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Today we are discussing your recent book, Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. Charlie, we spoke before about the morbidity and mortality conferences, which usually just involve surgeons. And you mentioned your observation that perhaps the nursing staff and other staff involved in the operating room should be there as well. Why did you say that? Because there are many different points of view that should be taken into account when something goes wrong. There was one case I saw where when the patient was in recovery, there had been a medication error on the floor. And I just thought it was interesting that when they had the M and M meeting as to why the patient had gotten sick, none of the surgeons knew that. So they had a conversation that was sort of off the point. Now, the fact that the medication error happened on the floor, there probably wasn't much that was particularly relevant to the surgeons, but still it struck me how much they sometimes don't know by not having the entire team there. Well, let me ask you this. As a, a layperson, why do you think that the standard in the vast majority of hospitals in the United States when they have their M&M conferences for surgery are just surgeons? Well, because I think it's part of this entire craft sense of what they do. It's very much close-knit craft, and when they meet, they think of themselves as meeting as the inside top craft people talking about what they did and their craft. It's a shortcoming, I think. A shortcoming, I think, is they don't think quite enough in a systems kind of way. What was the entire environment that they were working in that may have made this case slightly different? Now, you bring up an interesting point, and that's systems analysis. And we know that medicine, as compared to many other professions, when we evaluate our mistakes and problems, we have not looked at system analysis and only tried to put blame on one or two things. Do you think that that's something that needs to be improved in medicine? Very, very much. Could you expand upon that? I'll tell you just a classic case. It, it, it isn't my case, but Otto Gawande, he was a surgeon and a wonderful writer about surgery, has just done a piece about how helpful a simple checklist is in an intensive care unit, particularly for avoiding infections. And there's been almost no uptake on that by hospitals around the country. And in any other industry, I think, everybody would be doing it. Why do you think that this hasn't been more widely accepted? I talked to one surgeon about that, and he said, I hate checklists. <laughs> and the heart surgeons, after I'd watched them for a couple of months, 
it dawned to me that they were very much like the old violin maker because they were making all these very sensitive judgments all the time. What can I do with a heart that's got a ventricle that's in this kind of shape, that's got this kind of problem and so forth? How far can I push it? Very much like an old violin maker would say, this is a good piece of maple. I can use that for a back plate. That one looks the same, but I just knocked on it and I shouldn't. And they're very proud and they think like that. But there is this other aspect to it. There's been some work, and it's hard for me to tell how good this is, but it does make sense. There's been a lot of work going on for what goes wrong in an airplane cockpit, for instance, compared to what goes wrong in a surgical context. And often you can't point to any big thing that went wrong, but it turns out to be an accumulation of small errors. Like in surgery, it might be just you know sticking a guy several times when you need to put in a tube rather than simply once. And a whole list of those things, which is not going to appear on any record because they don't keep records in that kind of granular detail, if only because it takes some of the surgeon's attention could be why something larger happens, but there's no, there's really no way to tell. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is journalist and historian Charles Morris. Charles Morris has written 10 books, the most recent of which is based on his experience embedding himself in the surgical unit at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York. We are discussing Mr. Morris's recent book, Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. Charlie, you mentioned about the airline industry and the systems analysis. There's a colonel named Colonel John Nance, who is one of the interpreters for one of the major television stations' analysis of airline disasters. And he has been involved in determining why mistakes happen early on in the Vietnam War with helicopter crashes and Korean War and World War II, and most recently with the crashes that occur in airline. And he has attempted to lecture other professions, such as the medical profession, to try to utilize this same type of approach. Do you think that's going to be successful? It's not going to be a success or a failure. The point is, there's no black and white here, because... In the real world, about 90% of what you do, I think, in heart surgery, maybe it's 85%, maybe it's 65%, really does come down to a pure craft judgment. But if you could gain the extra 5%, 10%, 15%, that could make a very large difference. Is there anything that really disappointed you? Actually, the truth is, and I did not write a book, so I could just, you know, flatter these guys. But on the whole, I was very impressed with the real quality of what they did, with how hard they worked, with how very serious they were about what they did. I mean, watching a guy go through a three- or four-hour operation and never lift his head because you don't take breaks when you're doing this kind of surgery. It really dawned to me one I was watching a surgeon. He was doing a five-artery beating heart bypass. So each of the five, he he was stitching in a a bypass into 
five different coronary arteries. And each, each one of those was a fiddly 20-minute task. And a normal craftsman, after each one, you know, would have stood up, stretched his back, had a cup of coffee, taken a short walk, thought about how he was going to do the next one and then come back and done the next one. He never lifted his head. He just did each of the five. Now, do you think that if the public would have learned what you learned and even include the malpractice attorneys, that it would affect our malpractice crisis in the United States today? I must say, what really dawned on me, too, this is an insight, is that you can't have the kind of malpractice system that we've got now and have a true quality control system. I mean, if a semiconductor company has trouble making some kind of a chip, they tell everybody else, and you can read it in the published literature, this is what went wrong and here's how we fixed it. I mean, anything that goes wrong at, you know, Hospital One should be shared with every other place, and you should have a completely open system of error tracking and total quality, and you can't do that if there are lawyers looking over your shoulder. You just can't. There is a national meeting that many surgeons go to, and it used to be preceded the night before by a wonderful session called The Greatest Mistakes I've Made. And they weren't done in a cavalier fashion. They were done so that other surgeons would learn, very frankly. And they had to stop doing this because of attorneys in the audience who would then use them as leads for further cases. Yeah, that's just awful. I mean, because I mean, you need to have a total open error system. That's the only way to get to a high quality. You were talking about the airline industry before. When something goes wrong, they have a full public investigation, publish all the results, and every other airline checks to see if they might have that same kind of flaw. I mean, if you did it the way the medical system does it, no, Boeing would have a Boeing 727 crash, and nobody would ever know why. And that just doesn't make sense. I want to thank Charles Morris, who has been our guest. We have been discussing his recent book, Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.